Welcome to the eighth episode in the Digital 2018 Live series. I am Neil Wilkins and in this episode we will be talking about social media. Well, let's face it, who isn't talking about social media? It's one of those subjects that is absolutely at the core of marketing and communications in pretty much every single organisation. Either you're doing it very, very effectively and you've been seeing huge returns on your investment in time and energies, um, or it's one of those things that you run for the hills from. Uh, you really run for cover because even though social media and the art of social networking has been around for around 20 years now, um, you still see it as a new fad a new technology, something that's really quite technical and all I'm not a technical person. Um, if that is you, then now, right now is the time to really pull yourself together and think, do you know, I've really got to embrace this thing. Um, it is something that is not going to go away. Um, it is one of these things that will um, undoubtedly and almost certainly evolve into something very different in the coming years. But the art of using digital communications to build communities, to engage with uh, special interest groups, to evangelize your products and services and to develop conversations these concepts are not going to go away. So whether we call it social media, social networking, online communication, however we call it, and maybe you know in the next few years there'll be something new um, in terms of a phrase or an approach that we'll be looking at. Um, who knows? Nobody really knows. But the whole art of using digital for communicating and developing conversations uh, is something that will not go away. Now you may well be in an, in an industry or in a market sector where you think, oh well, you know my industry is you know, we, we don't really use um, social media because we like traditional things. Um, well, I think now is the time to be waking up because um, the number of what we might term millennials um, now outnumbers the rest of business decision makers uh, right across the planet. Um, these are people now who are um, and have always grown up with um, digital communication. Uh, and these are people who are now taking the place of those uh, people you've just been referring to who are now retiring, uh, leaving business, closing their businesses, um, and, and literally, you know, being removed from the equation. So if you think that um, social networking and the and the art of um, using digital to communicate um, isn't for you, um, well, every single day that passes, it will become more for you, whether you like it or not. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at some of the things that you can do and some of the things really to consider when you start to create um, a, a framework for your thinking around social media. Um, obviously, being a podcast, it's very, very difficult to um, give you the nuts and bolts of how you do this. Um, so we'll be talking much more in this particular episode, more about the, the why you should do this and what you can do to start to really think about this in a um, strategic as well as a tactical day-to-day um, -day way. So there'll be three things that we're going to be looking at um, sort of in this episode. The first thing is the decision of whether or not to be proactive or reactive. So we'll have a little look at that. Um, we'll also be thinking about guidelines because having a bit of a plan that has some guidelines is a really, really important thing to do um, when you start to um, embark on this journey of social media or when you start to um, probably be hope to become more efficient in the way that you do social media. So it's, it's really important to have guidelines and we'll explore what those are. 
Another thing that we'll do then is we will look at the top five social networks. Um, and I say top five, this isn't necessarily top five critiqued in any particular order. Um, and what it doesn't mean is that if they're not in this top five, Neil says that, you know, they're not relevant. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but for most organisations in most sectors, um, the big five currently are Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube. Yes, I'm totally aware that there are things like Snapchat and the like um, and Pinterest, you know, that again are um, sort of very attractive to certain audiences in certain sectors. But what I'm saying is that these five, if you have to really just focus on five or you have to focus on a, a small number, the likelihood is that statistically your target audience, um, whichever industry you're in, is more likely to be in one or two or three or four or five um, of, of these social networks. So these will be the ones that we'll focus on. And I, I just want to spend just a little bit of time. Um, just talking about some of the key things that a lot of people miss actually about each of these um, because each of these has a, a real value that it can bring to your um, social media strategy and to help you to deliver your content plan and if you um, sort of really just sort of pay attention to those those key values that they can bring um, often what you'll find is that um, it will accelerate your um, social media activity you know quite significantly in, in a positive direction. So let's look at the, the first um, decision that we need to take. Um, and this is the, the, the idea of being either proactive or reactive with each of the social networks that you use. So let's kind of just think about um, those words and actually define them properly. So if you're being proactive, what it means is that you're using um, that particular social network in a proactive way. In other words, you are embracing it, you are using it, you are delivering content through it in a proactive way. So what you're doing is you're putting it at the heart of your customer's journey. Um, you're giving it a really, really clear definition as to what you're expecting from it. So you're basically giving it a job description and you are using it on a, an active basis. So you're putting content through it, you're looking for conversations, you're looking to get engagement, um, you're hoping to get a little bit of advocacy, so some likes and shares and the like. Um, and so you're using it in a proactive way. So you know what that social network needs to do and you're gonna measure it accordingly. So as you um, come to the end of each week or each month, you're looking back at the data uh, from that particular social network and um, you're seeing whether or not it hit the targets that you set. So that is the proactive use of a social network. But you can also have social networks that we might term reactive and you're putting those into action on a reactive basis. In other words, you're creating them. So you're setting up the, uh, the biography, you're setting up your profile on there, you're putting a backlink from that particular social network back to your website. So there's a nice inbound link for your website, which, you know, we believe will help with your um, Google search engine ranking and other search engines are also available. Um, and so the reactive uh, social network is one that um, literally just sort of sits there and you occasionally feed it. So occasionally you might put um, some of your, you know, your best content in there or you might just keep it fresh, maybe once a week or once every fortnight. You just post some, some a little piece of content in there and that content probably is just a signpost to somewhere else. So all you're doing is you're just keeping it alive 
um, but you're not using it proactively. In other words, you don't have any intentions for it. Now, you might argue, well, what's the point then? Because you're really, really busy. Um, you've got loads of stuff on in the day. Why would you need to use a reactive social network? Well, a nice example, um, which really kind of emphasizes why you should, um, is Google+. Plus. Because Google is uh, Google Plus is part of the Google suite of products, um, so it's in the family of Gmail um, and YouTube and the like. Um, it will undoubtedly, if you have a Google Plus account that links back to your website, it will undoubtedly contribute to positive search engine uh, ranking points. Um, now, the whole point of this and, and using Google Plus as an example, because that is probably the most extreme example where, you know, the chances are your customer is not thinking of Google Plus as part of your customer's journey and you're not thinking of it as part of your customer's journey. So it is one of these things that kind of sits outside of the customer journey, but still is adding value because it's another inbound link. It's an important inbound link to your website because you're going to put, put the link of your website on your Google Plus account. Um, and also what it does, and this is again a really important use of reactive social networks, is that if you load this social networking, uh, sorry, this social network with your um, company name, your brand names, the kinds of content that um, would certainly appear in a Google search result, then what you're doing is you are blocking off the opportunity for one of your competitors to take that position in the Google search rankings other search engines are available. Um, I always say Google, don't I? Have you noticed that? Actually, in the previous episodes, I always say Google rankings and stuff. It's all social, um, sorry, all search engine rankings, but um, we'll just use Google uh, in, in its broadest sense there. Um, and that is a really important thing because there are kind of 10 to 12, depending on um, the particular subject, but there are 10 to 12 kind of places on that that front page, that first page of the search results. Um, and for any kind of search that somebody does to find something like the product or service that you offer, you want them to see as many of your references, as many of your sites, as many of your accounts, as many of your pages in that first page as you can possibly see because if you don't then there's a chance that they'll spot you know one of your competitors who's also got a position there um, then they'll click that one and then you've lost them so the idea of a reactive um, social network is that it gives you more chance to have a presence on that front page of those search results so it's kind of a win-win. So you're reactively blocking out the competition for a particular subject that somebody might search on, but you're also giving an additional inbound link to your website. So there is a real value in having all of the social networks, all the key. I mean, we're not talking about going deep, deep down into literally hundreds of social networks, some of the real kind of niche um, uh, or unknown social networks here. We're talking about the, the big players, the ones who will figure in, in the search rankings. And what we're looking for here um, is to make this really clear differentiation between the proactive, i.e. the ones that you're going to put into your customer journey, and the reactive, the ones that you're going to set up, put that inbound link, and then just you know, service now and again just to keep them alive. 
And so that's a really important use of, of Google Plus. Um, so you probably should have Google Plus, but also it applies to all of the, well, particularly the big five um, and beyond. So if, for example, you don't have um, an Instagram account now for your business, um, this would be a good time to set it up. Even if it doesn't figure in your customer journey, then think of it as a, a reactive one. So set up the account, get that inbound link in place and post occasional pictures to it. Because it's not part of the customer journey, it doesn't really matter that this isn't pro probably as updated um, as frequently and doesn't really look as alive as your other social networks. That's fine because be it's because it's not part of the customer journey, it's less likely to be seen in isolation. So um, th those are the, really the key reasons why you would want to be um, setting all of these accounts up. So let's just consider now that you've set up um, all of your social networks, either proactively or reactively. You've decided which ones, obviously the proactive ones, are going to go into the customer journey and you're ready to start serving those and fueling them with some content. So what do you do now? Well, you'll probably recognise at this point that um, time is going to be of the essence and that because you've probably got other things to do in the day, unless, of course, you're a social media executive um, and that this is your day, um, that you are going to need to be super efficient and do the right things at the right time. And so what you're going to need to do is have a bit of a social media plan. So the plan is something that will really form the kind of guidelines, if you like, for the amount of content that you should be publishing, um, the best time when you should be publishing it, the kind of tone of voice, the style, um, your image guidelines, all of these kinds of things come into play. And all of these kinds of things are really, really important to consider and should be logged and um, put into um, a almost like a, a brochure, if you like, which will help anybody who's going to be involved in this as well to do things really, really consistently with you. Now, this could involve uh, a member of staff. This could involve the wider team. This could involve other people across your business um, who possibly aren't in uh, marketing and communications. They might be in a technical role, but they are the face of that technical role and they're going to be part of your communications efforts. They would need to see these guidelines, um, particularly if you're using third parties outside of your organization. So maybe an agency, a consultant, uh, freelancers, all of these people will need to see these guidelines. Now, the social media guidelines are here um, as a guide to open up opportunities rather than to police what it is your people are doing. Now that's a really important one. If you are issuing, and I see a lot of examples of this um, in clients that I work with, um, the initial thinking when you think of guidelines, guidelines are here to police and tell you what you shouldn't do. And these set the boundaries of you know what you mustn't say and what you mustn't do, um, because we don't expect this as an organisation. That is completely the wrong way of approaching it, because then there's fear. And once you get fear, you stop people from being creative. So the best use of social media guidelines is where you use them to set the boundaries. So set the fence around the activity, but anything inside that fence goes. So you're setting the tone of voice, you're setting the style, you're setting, you know, the kinds of subjects that can be talked about and the kinds of subjects that need to be avoided. And you're being very, very clear. I mean, absolutely super clear about what can and should be used and what could be done. So it's all about terminology rather than saying you must not do this and we don't expect that. Say you can do this and we expect this. So just 
change the terminology. Um, guidelines um, are often, you know, as I say, used in a, a negative kind of sort of threatening kind of way, um, but use them in a very collaborative, innovative way. Think of these boundary settings as being allowing people to play with inside those boundaries rather than, or you mustn't go outside of the boundaries, say, be as creative as you like within the boundaries. It's a simple little uh, approach, but it makes a fundamental difference to how people will then engage. Because, of course, the problem if you use it as a threat and use fear um, within your guidelines is that people will clam up and you'll see very little creativity. You'll see very little energy, if you like, actually, in the content that gets provided. And everyone then is just too safe. And if you're very safe in social media, you tend to then become quite predictable. Um, and that is one of the worst things that you can do in social media is to be predictable because then people just don't listen. And if people aren't listening, then they're not hearing. And if they're not hearing, they're not likely to engage in a conversation. So use social media guidelines in a really kind of creative way. OK, let's start now to think about some of the, uh, the, the big five and really what they are um, there to um, sort of provide some value for you. So if we're just going to look um, briefly here at Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube, and I just want to focus on a couple of things for each of them, because a, a lot of the time we actually miss the essence of really why these um, social networks were created in the first place, or we miss some of the subtle things that uh, maybe your competitors aren't focusing on. Um, so the first one I'd like you to think about really is, um, is Twitter. Now, Twitter, for most people, um, if they're thinking about this from a business context, is all about the publishing. It's all about I need to be tweeting. Um, so what am I going to tweet? And, and it's very much about them and the outputs. Whereas actually for Twitter, um, what I find, and I know a lot of my uh, colleagues find the same, is that the big value really that comes from Twitter is, is in the listening. Twitter is a really, really good tool for understanding what um, your people are thinking, what your target audience is thinking and saying. Um, it's a really great tool for um, in stealth. Um, we won't use the word stalking because that's really inappropriate, but it's kind of business stealth, should we say, um, listening and watching to your co competitors and actually listening to, to what they're saying. Um, you'll never understand their full strategy from a single tweet, but if you look at the last 50 tweets, you can often get a very, very clear view of the kinds of um, tactics and even to the level of strategies that they're trying to implement. So think of Twitter as a tool that you can use to, to go searching for people, to go and find people, to go and listen to what they're saying. Um, if you're trying to um, break into a, a new market sector, for example, with a product or service, um, it can be a really great tool for going to find the influencers in that particular sector. Uh, influencers can really help you um, sort of um, escalate and to amplify the uh, the message that you um, are trying to put into that sector, particularly if you're looking to launch something new. So rather than just sort of jumping in and saying, hey, here we are, is actually have a listen to some of these key influencers in, in those sectors and um, really understand you know, what kinds of things are resonating at the moment. Um, and it's, of course, then it's not doesn't then just become about the tweets, it becomes actually about the people behind those tweets. Um, and so it's a really, really interesting tool for market research. It's a great tool if you use it in line with something like TweetDeck or Hootsuite, uh, and you can create a stream in those, um, just Google 
creating a stream in Hootsuite for, for details of how you do that. Um, but what you get then is a very nice stream of content that will feed a or feed you on a particular subject. So if you're looking for um, I've, I've got a really nice one at the moment, which I just call market intelligence. Um, and into that stream, um, I'm literally just following the tweets of a number of the big um, management consultancies and market research companies, um, because every single day they're publishing some really insightful market research um, on a whole host of new subjects. Um, and so for me, all in one place, rather than doing you know, countless Google searches, um, I'm seeing all of those feeds come through just steadily day in, day out, um, all in one place. So it can be a really useful tool to um, really kind of fuel your, your knowledge and your learning. Um, but also, if you think about it, it can also help you with when you think about your rule of thirds and that one third signposting to other people's content. Um, if you're listening, then you can actually use it really effectively to populate the third that we call point. So that's signposting to other people's content. So Twitter is a very, very useful tool for um, listening as opposed to just purely publishing and talking. The next one I want to talk about is um, Facebook. And um, I think probably because it is one of these you know, present everywhere across the planet, um, social networks. Um, I doubt whether there's very, very many people you will ever encounter who would say, oh, I have not heard of Facebook. So it literally is everywhere. So what I'm not going to do is talk in huge details about Facebook per se. But what I want to just sort of draw your attention to is Facebook advertising. Um, it's probably the most targeted. And I say probably because you may well be able to argue back with something that you found that is, is more accurate and targeted. But at the moment, I would suggest it's probably the most targeted paid um, digital channel that you could be advertising in. Um, but it also has a, uh, a very, very big value, even if you don't plan to spend any budget in Facebook. And that is to actually create a Facebook ad, um, because what this allows you to do and is if you go to Facebook.com and you click on home. So you go to your home um, timeline and when you look over to the right hand column, so you have your three columns, left hand columns or your shortcuts, timeline down the middle. And on the right hand side, you see some um, a range of different kind of adverts and, and sort of posts and things. Um, you'll see at the top of the adverts, you'll see something that says create ad, create advert. Um, if you click on that, it opens up a whole new area of Facebook, which allows you to put in all of the details about your customer persona. Now, by putting in all those details of your customer persona in a particular location with all of their interests, with their job title, with um, their age profile, their marital status, their gender, all of the things that you've created um, as you put your persona together, um, it allows you to see literally how many of that particular persona exist in a particular area. So it's a really, really good check and balance for your customer persona. Now, of course, if you see that and you think, oh, well, actually, I've got a product or service I'd like to put out to that person on Facebook. Then, of course, you can then run uh, an ad and actually pay a small amount of budget to get that thing kick started. Um, but for a lot of us, we would just be using that um, without any budget and just creating it to see literally what is um, the, the kind of number in a particular area of that persona. So you know, a hugely powerful way of just kind of testing whether or not your persona actually exists. 
which, you know, for a lot of people is often a big question mark before they start engaging. In LinkedIn, which is another one I'd just like to briefly talk about, um, I'd say really LinkedIn is as much about, if not more, about your people than it is about your content. Again, with social networking, people think, oh, it's all about the, the content publishing. I've got to get all my content out there. But actually, really, the big value comes from looking at LinkedIn from a people perspective. You know, just even the name LinkedIn is all about actually how will I link in my people or how will I link in how I um, integrate um, into my circles? How will I link in with the kinds of organizations and the kinds of decision makers that I want to be communicating with? How will I link in my people to people like them who can also do social networking on my behalf. So it is very much about linking in. And again, obviously, the, the whole name LinkedIn um, does really sort of pay lip service to this. But it is about thinking about the people in your organization consistently having a profile that supports the kind of communications you're trying to do. So this is about briefing everyone in your business to have their LinkedIn profile up to date. It's also about making sure that they are sharing any content that you do publish. So if you publish something on your business page, making sure that everybody's aware, look, share it with your LinkedIn contacts. So tell everybody every time you publish something really good or if there's a product launch or if you've got an event that you're hosting or you know whatever it happens to be, certainly your big ticket items, you want all of your people in your organization to be sharing. So they don't actually have to publish anything themselves necessarily although that probably would be quite useful for um, spreading the message. But at the very least, they need to be liking and sharing that content because a business page will just sit there with content on it. It only really starts to ignite when you get your people to start sharing with their connections because, of course, the amplification of that um, and the spreading and the increasing of the reach um, is obviously hugely powerful for each piece of content. So make sure that everybody in your organization and everybody you know, um, encourage them to uh, to be reposting and sharing the content on LinkedIn that you put onto your business page, because that is the way that it starts to get noticed and that you will see a significant upturn in the amount of people following your business page if you encourage your staff to be sharing the content you put on there. The um, fourth of the social networks that I just wanted to talk briefly about is Instagram. Um, now, with Instagram, this one probably more so than all of the others um, is all about location. Um, the phrase location, location, location really comes into play here. Um, if you are targeting a particular physical geographic location with product or service or announcements or um, a focus um, that you have in your marketing um, communications plan, then Instagram can be a very, very effective way of doing this. And it's all about literally being a good Instagram citizen. So what you'll be doing is you'll be searching using the search facility on Instagram for people talking about specific things that relate to your product or service or your brand brand in a particular physical location. Um, by doing that and liking their content, commenting on their content, following them, you will start to engage with them at a point where they will then start to um, engage back with you. Um, but it is all based around location. Um, 
The other three that we've just been talking about are much less location dependent. Instagram is a very location driven um, social network and, and predominantly that is because of the use of hashtags. So hashtags you can use on all of the other social networks and they do encourage you to use those. But within Instagram, you can really use them. It's almost like power hashtags. You can, you can use them almost as many as you like. I mean, some of the researchers suggested you can use up to 30 hashtags in a post before it starts to um, decrease the value of the post. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting you do quite that many, but you can certainly use it to highlight um, people in specific locations so that they will actually see um, the content because it is more appropriate to them based on their physical location. So start to think about location in your marketing mix. Um, again, it's a digital channel, so you could say, well, it's location independent. But with Instagram, it allows you to be pinpoint accurate. So think about specific cities, think about specific activities, think about your persona. Where are they? What are they up to? And this is not just in work. What are they up to in leisure? Um, and making sure that you're putting, again, in line with your content and, and social media guidelines, putting the right kinds of imagery with the right tone of voice and making sure you're using all those hashtags because there's a huge value in doing that too. And the fifth and final social network that I just wanted to mention was um, was YouTube. Again, part of the Google family, so hugely important that you have an account um, and that you set up a channel, even if it is just to very, very occasionally post a video. Now, video is one of those content um, things that um, people often um, are a little bit like uh, Marmite or Vegemite about. They'll be saying, OK, I love it. I want to do it. I want to do lots of video. Or they'll be saying, oh, you're never going to see me on camera. It is one of those things that really polarizes people's opinion. Um, but if you are able and willing to be recording videos or you have somebody in your organization who is willing, able and willing to do that, then YouTube is the place to be. Um, the nice thing about YouTube is that this is very much somewhere where you can engage live. You can obviously on others and particularly things like Facebook Live. But on YouTube, it's it's almost that you now have the opportunity to create, should you wish to accept the challenge, um, your own um, TV channel, which is really what this is about. Um, and this comes with two big values. The, the live engagement may well escalate um, and really, really improve your um, engagement levels um, beyond what you're doing at the moment. Uh, people like live. They're intrigued by one, how you're going to perform. This might not be you, but it could be somebody in your organisation but they're just very intrigued as to kind of what's coming next and, and live has the feeling of, of quite raw of quite real quite authentic um, so that's a really really big positive if you can do live broadcast and what kind of things might you put out there um, it could be literally a fly on the wall um, sort of behind the scenes view of something that could be a conference that you're putting together. Maybe you've got an exhibition with an exhibition stand um, it's showing kind of the behind the scenes there it could be a product launch. It could be um, the, you know, somebody in your organisation who has some thought leadership to share. You know, a whole host of different things, but certainly live has a huge value in terms of uh, engagement, as I say. And the other thing, the other big value that comes from, um, from YouTube and having a video channel here is the legacy. 
um, a lot of commentators, a lot of some of the top entrepreneurial marketers um, on the planet right now um, are keeping on going on and on and on and on about this word legacy. Um, and this is basically about leaving a trail of content for the future so that there is almost like a journal, if you like. But it isn't just about the kind of the ego sort of nurse of, of leaving a legacy. Um, this is also very, very good about dominating on a particular subject. And of course, this will apply to all of the social networks. The more content you can publish on a particular subject, the more you can dominate that into the future. Because the longevity of content content that's been there for some time that is still fresh and that is still being visited and being read or being listened to um, has a big value from the uh, from the search engines but it also has a lot of credibility from the people who are reading it so something like YouTube, where you're publishing maybe um, a series on a particular subject or a little bit like this, you know, this is 12 months worth of uh, podcasts, for example. So this will be a 12 month series that kind of has gone throughout 2018. Um, this is um, episode number eight. So there's still four more to go. Um, and this will take us through to the end of 2018. And this will be, you know, a nice little legacy for kind of actually a lot of the best practice and a lot of the thinking through 2018. And um, in the future, that in itself has a value. Uh, whether you agree with all the content in there or not is, is another story, another debate. But the point is that by leaving legacy of content, um, and video is a great way of leaving legacy because it's very, very easy to consume. And going forward, it is probably going to be one of the key drivers for content style in the next few years. So I would strongly... Um, recommend that you do really sort of consider it. Um, you don't have to necessarily go down the live um, approach. Live is quite confident, um, but as I say, it's authentic and it does get high levels of engagement. But at the very, very least, try to do a few um, sort of pre-recorded uh, videos. You don't have to be very long, but leaving a legacy um, of that kind of nature um, on your social networking is a huge way really of sort of gaining that extra credibility, as well as um, if you need to, obviously blocking out the competition as well. So this has been episode eight. We've um, explored a few of the things to think about as you start to uh, Im either improve your social networking or maybe create a new plan um, for the rest of this year or into next year. Um, I've been Neil Wilkins and in the uh, following episodes, we'll be looking at some really interesting uh, subjects like how you can use um, digital content for campaigns. And we'll be looking at the all important area of improvement. So listening, um, sharing and reporting, and of course, measuring all of your digital activity. So we've got four exciting episodes uh, still left to come in this series. Um, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I hope you've uh, found it quite useful. And uh, do send me any feedback. Um, very interested to hear if you disagree with any of the points or if you agree with them. That's great too. Um, be lovely to hear from you. So do post any comments um, on neilwilkins.online um, or on any of my social networks, Neil Wilkins X. Uh, you will find me on social media. So thank you very much for listening and I will see you in the next episode.